0: Hey guys, welcome back to Dad Tired. I just have to say before we jump into like all the serious stuff, <laughs> I'm sitting here at my desk. Uh, we just moved, which was has been chaotic, as you know, if you've moved recently. Uh, but I'm sitting here at my desk, and I've got probably the best cup of coffee I've ever had. And I just want to say before you like skip forward, I'm not getting paid a dime to say this. This is not an official ad. I love coffee, and you probably do too if you're a tired dad. But Like the process, I've done like the drip coffees, the French press, the like all the things that you can do. I grew or I lived in Portland the last twelve years, so like a lot of coffee snobs over there in the Pacific Northwest. So I've tried them all, but I just don't have time, dude. I'm like I'm a dad of four kids, and I just don't have time to like go through twelve hour process to have a cup of coffee. Anyway, so we always end up doing Keurig coffee, you know, just like push a button, have bad coffee. But I found this company, and again, this is not an ad. I'm not getting paid anything to say this. (laughs) Uh, I found this this company though, it's literally you press a button, but it's a grind like you pour the beans in the top and then it grinds specifically for the cup of coffee that you choose on their app. So you go through the app, you pick your cup of coffee, you can do any kind of coffee that you would do at a coffee shop. You press the button, it grinds the specific beans, it knows what kind of beans you're using, grinds it specifically for that bag of beans and then makes you a specific drink and it's just... Literally the best cup of coffee I've ever had. So I reached out to them because I said, you guys, I have a podcast for dads. A lot of them are tired. A lot of them drink coffee. And I think they would love this product. Do you want to give them a promo code? And they said yes. So the company is called Spin, S-P-I-N-N, spin.com. And then they make these incredible coffee machines. They're a little pricey, but they're worth it. High quality. And you probably will make up for it by all the coffee. If like your wife is drinking a lot of coffee at coffee shops, if you're buying a lot of coffee at coffee shops, this is going to replace all that. And uh, anyway, I don't get a kickback for any of it. You know, you can buy ten thousand of them, and I won't make any money. But I'm just saying, really good coffee, cool company. They were excited about the Dad Tired podcast and giving you a promo code. So anyway, Dad Tired one hundred and fifty. They're giving you a hundred and fifty dollars off. Dad Tired one hundred and fifty. Use that promo code at checkout, and they'll hook you up. Speaking of coffee, uh, we have a Dad Tired retreat coming up. It's going to be amazing, but time is running out. If you want to go, if you're on the fence about going and you're thinking and you're procrastinating, you should stop procrastinating because we're about to close up registration for that. We have to tell the camp in advance how many guys are coming, and we're about to hit that deadline. So go to dadtired.com forward slash retreat and uh, sign up for that. You can get all your questions answered on there. If you have any questions, just shoot us an email and hello at deadtired.com and we'll, we'll be happy to answer any questions you have about the retreat. It's going to be amazing, but you can sit and have a cup of coffee with some other Dad tired guys from around the country sit around the campfire, hear some good teaching, have worship, just connect with other guys, take a little break from all the chaos of your world and be poured into as a man, husband, and father. So would love to have you guys come, dadtire.com forward slash retreat. That being said, let's dive into today's episode. (laughs) Winfield, I'm really glad that we're well, I'm glad that you decided to hang out with us today because I want to pick your brain. I have a feeling that we're going to come short on time, even as I as we start here. I'm like, I got way more questions than I than mm-hmm. I feel like we're going to have time for. But you wrote a book recently called Liturgical Mission, which I've been in church leadership for you know a decent amount of time. I try to act like I'm still young, but I've been in a decent amount of time, and I've never heard those two topics combine. And so I'm really just curious to pick your brain on all of it, but. I, Let me step out of the way for a minute and just say, hello. Thank you for being here. Introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and what you're up to these days.
1: Yeah. Hey, thanks so much. Glad to be here with you. Yeah. Winfield Bevins. I actually am at Asbury Seminary. I direct the church planning initiative here. So I teach, I I do a lot of travel. I write, but yeah, my first calling is as a husband and a father. Married to Kay, we've got three daughters. It's a crazy season Elizabeth, our oldest, just graduated high school this weekend. Annabelle, our middle, just turned 16 yesterday, which wow. that's great. Caroline is nine, our youngest.
0: So, three girls. That's, that's awesome, man. I got three out. girls as well. I have one boy. My, my oldest is a boy, and then three girls as well. So, it's a, uh, I grew up with three sisters. So, I was convinced for some reason God would give me all girls. And uh, yeah. he did give me three, but yeah, I snuck a boy in as well. Well, man, I'm excited to hang out with you and kind of pick your brain. Like I said, maybe let's just rewind all the way back to like square one and let's just get into like liturgy because there's a lot of people who are listening to this podcast who grew up in maybe one of two camps, either that, you know, the liturgical tradition is that's familiar to them. They grew up in a church like that. And then other of us have no idea like when you say liturgy like we don't even we've heard the word maybe but we don't even know yeah. really what you're talking about and and I grew up in a church that really didn't have any liturgical practices as part of our faith journey and so I want to learn more as I've grown in my discipleship journey I've become more and more in love with these ancient practices that are used as discipleship tools to bring us closer to the heart of Jesus I would say I'm still new to all of it and so maybe let's just step back into like square 1 what is liturgy? Talk to us like we are an eight-year-old trying to figure this yeah, out. No,
1: yeah, no, I mean, I, I explained this stuff to kids, so that's good. I have written several books on this for kind of people who are kind of coming at it. There there really is a kind of a draw for people across North America that are looking for roots and substance and Really, I think it's a hunger for formation that goes mm-hmm. beyond just kind of a cognitive kind of approach to discipleship and formation. And so, liturgy basically literally means the work of the people. It's laos. It's it's two Greek words that come together. Not to bore you with Greek, but it's the work of the people. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a secular term that originated with doing good. And mm-hmm. over time, early Christians kind of co-opted the term to refer to what we do together in worship. Hmm. So it's the work of the people in the context of worship, but the earliest use of the term actually had this connotation for mission. Part of the draw of this is it's a corporate understanding that there are these rhythms and, and patterns that we do together that form us, but also lead us toward God's mission. And when you look at the historic church and you look at how disciples have been made for centuries, it's also directly connected home discipleship, family discipleship, which I know is really dear to your heart, is directly connected to our worship practices. And so part of the challenges of modern kind of contemporary Christianity, you know, kind of the big box, smoke machine kind of rock concert approaches is there's no formation that connects from what happens on the Sunday morning show to what happens the rest of the week. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know, there's a few happy, clappy songs. There's a cute little sermon, you know, based on maybe connected to a scripture. Well, historically there's been a framework for how Christians have worshiped that actually it's all interconnected, like cogs of a wheel. And that's what liturgy does, is it actually, there's a formation, there's a process, there's a way that Christians worship that's actually historically designed to to form us in the faith. So hopefully that made sense.
0: Yeah, it does. It does from a high level perspective. I'd love to like, let's rewind back in time a few hundred years or a thousand years and let's just talk about, okay, so there's a family who has these liturgical practices. Am I saying that? Is that the right way to frame yeah, sure. that? Yeah, liturgical yeah. practices? Yeah. Okay. And so there's, the faith community uses these traditions and practices as part of the discipleship journey and their formation for yep. themselves and their family. What does that actually look like? What kind of things would they have been doing? Traditions would they have been practicing that they would have seen like, okay, this is all part of our discipleship journey. And as we talk about that practically, what you know, how does it contrast? You gave a little bit of that, you know, to our Western church in 2022, yeah. but give us some contrast so we can, you know, put some flesh to those bones.
1: Yeah, I think again, it's it, there's a holism as we look at early Christianity that we're missing in contemporary context. We kind of bifurcate these things, like worship and mission. These sound like okay; these are two things the church does, but are they even interconnected? Right. And in the life of the early church, it was all one. Like discipleship, family, children, mission, liturgy. Yes, it literally was integrated. And there, you know, one of the things that I look at in the book and the earlier you know, sections, I talk about okay, what is liturgy? And then what is the framework for it? I kind of parallel it to like a symphony. And there are these movements, and it's a fourfold movement that is all designed to connect us to the real world and to mission. And so we gather together as believers. Um, The early church gathered in domestic spaces. The word domos actually referred to these kind of city contexts where early Christians gathered in more kind of home church type oriented situations. So they weren't meeting in cathedrals. They really was much more home oriented. Hmm. And they would gather together from around the city for worship. So there's a gathering that's normal for most of us. We gather. There's the hearing of the word, and there there are multiple scripture readings. There's a sermon that's connected to this. Again, this isn't foreign to for a lot of us, but connected to the worship is the kind of the third phase is that is is the feeding or celebrating. This is the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. There's a formative thing that happens as we gather around the table. Mm. Our home liturgies, the life of the early church, was all interconnected to these rhythms of worship. And so the fourth kind of area or structure to the worship or shape of the worship is the sending out, where we get the term Misa, Mass. It means the priest or minister would say, "You You've now go, you are sent on mission. And so a family or ordinary people that would gather together, they would hear God's word, then they would feed, and then they would go back out on mission. Those were the rhythms of, of their ordinary lives throughout the rest of the week. What, In other words, what happens on Sunday, we live out throughout the rest of the week. So we gather around our tables. We invite people around the table because it's directly connected to God's mission. So in the same way, God invites us And the hospitality of God invites us to the table. We invite others around our dinner tables. So the ordinary spaces of the home then become places of formation and discipleship as well as mission. Mm. And so this was very much the life of the early church. And it made sense because that's how they worshiped and that's Mm. how they lived together. And I think that's part of where part of the draw of liturgy and tradition is there's uh, just a very kind of basic structures, basic systems, things that people can kind of take and use in very real practical ways. And again, as a father and as a parent, I've seen 2019, I d- published a book called Ever Ancient, Ever New The Allure of Liturgy for a New Generation, where I looked at, interviewed 200 young adults across the US that are embracing tradition and liturgy. Like, what is the draw for those coming from? these low church backgrounds that you kind of described, why are people drawn to that? Yeah. What was interesting is one of part of my research, I did a chapter on families, the liturgy of the home, Mm -hmm. where one of the fascinating things I saw as I visited churches was just young families. I mean, Mm -hmm. young families with small kids that were just all loaded up together and they're there taking the Lord's supper together and they're you know in catechesis classes and following the church year, like, what is the draw of this? It's not seeker sensitive, you know, it's not kind of this big television production kind of church service. It's very basic. It's very kind of countercultural and maybe counterintuitive in some ways. It was fascinating. So I think part of that is just, again, this. there are these practices to live out your faith throughout the rest of the week that's connected
0: to the
1: Sunday liturgical service.
0: What conclusions did you, as you talk to these young families who are moving toward these more traditional practices, both in their corporate worship and at home, why, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like why, because you were saying it it countercultural in a lot of ways. So why, what did you find? So again, it's easy to kind of throw
1: rocks and critique, but again, most of how we do church in North America is you go to the show. Yeah. And discipleship, family discipleship is not even an issue. We want a program. We're going to go to the big church. Hey, we're going to send our kids off to a babysitting service and you're going to raise our kids. Well, when you actually read the scriptures, you see that it's actually a parent's responsibility to train your child in the way that they should go. Discipleship and formation is actually, as parents, our responsibility. The church then is there to support as a community of faith, and one of the things, the the connection of liturgy is since the earliest time, the rituals and practices of the early church and the liturgical practices, they're all interconnected, and so there are these historic practices that have been passed on throughout the ages that have been how families have trained up their children
0: in the way that they should go.
1: And I, I, you know, I could unpack those a little bit, but
0: I yeah, what Yeah. What are, what are some of them? What are some of the practices that the families?
1: Yeah. So again, back to this idea, as I interviewed these families, like they would share like, wow, we've discovered these tools, these resources that are timeless, that help us form our kids and we do our faith together. So yeah, some of those is like, one of the basic ones is again, Sabbath, uh, I think you know the the worship together. A lot of times, liturgical churches they're not like just sending the kids over there for a babysitting service. It's all integrated, where you have scripture readings. Liturgical churches follow what's called a lectionary, which are scripture readings throughout the church year. There's what's called the church calendar, and I call this kind of following Jesus through the church year. There are these seasons that that you follow every year. So for instance, Advent leads to Christmas. So there's a Christmas doesn't just happen. There's a whole season that p- prepares you for Christmas. Right. And mm-hmm. so there are scripture readings, there are prayers. You connect this to children, they're actual practices. They're like, you know, there's lessons and there's all these time-honored traditions that are connected to this, you know, Advent wreaths and calendars and candles, and there's all sorts of cool stuff that you can actually bring into the home that's connected to what happens on Sunday morning, if that makes sense. It does. Then when you get into Lent, you know, most big evangelical churches, Easter is the big deal, right? It's the big show. It's like the biggest production of the year. Well, what happens is a pastor could be preaching a whole sermon series on money, all right, or on, I don't know, evangelism, Well, they'll take a break on Easter and preach on Easter, and then they'll go right back into whatever sermon series they were on. Well, in the liturgical calendar, you have a whole season called Lent that's 40 days of prayer where you're just getting your heart right before God. You're like, you're fasting, you're praying, you're seeking Jesus. What could be more evangelical than that? What could be more Christ gospel centered? And guess what? You get to do it with your family. There are practices. They're like, Hey, we're going to give up stuff for the season. Kids, what are we going to do this year for Lent? Like, that's a common question. What are you doing for Lent? And it's not just giving things up. Sometimes it's like, what are we going to do? Like, man, let's visit the nursing home. Let's get out there on mission. You know, let's do a yard sale and let's give all that money to help homeless people in our community. And so, These seasons and these rhythms of the liturgical church year, I think, are one of the greatest gifts that's missing in so much of kind of big box contemporary Christianity. That for me personally, as a dad, like, man, what a gift. I get to practice my rather than having, I guess what I'm trying to say is rather than having to make it up, rather than having to be like, all right, how am I going to disciple my kids? I got no idea. I wasn't raised like this, but how do I form my kids? Wow, what a breath of fresh air to say, to look into the treasure chest of church history and be like, man, look at this stuff. There's all these riches and treasures and gifts that actually belong to the church. They belong to me. They belong to my family and my kids. So Advent, Advent, Lent, these seasons, there are these little practices that you can bring into the home that are just really beautiful. And uh, they form us, but they form our kids.
0: Yeah, I was talking to my kids the other day about the Feast of Tabernacles. We had, we had been reading about that and like, what does that even mean? And I didn't have a good answer for them. So we started to like research it together. And uh, what it led the conversation to was that there have been followers of Jesus who have been doing things to remember God's faithfulness for a really, really long time. (laughs) And that was a cool conversation to have with our kids because we live, especially in America 2022, I mean, it's just the fad. Like I, we, you just got to, whatever's on the news today will be like gone completely out of the cycle in a week. You know what I mean? Like things are just come and go and come and go. And so for our kids uh, here that there's like, no, Christians have been doing this practice yep. for thousands of years. And we remember, and I was trying to tell them like great grandma did this and she passed it on to my grandma and she passed it on to my mom. My mom passed it on to me. I grew up in a all the men in my family bailed. So I have to use women uh, yeah. as an example, but all these women who have been faithful and who God has pursued. And as a result, I was like, now look at you. We're sitting on this couch talking about Jesus and his pursuit of us because of all the people that come before us. And so there was just so this cool, like there's a bigger picture here. And I think that's kind of in my very elementary understanding of these traditions. It is a cool way to like point our kids back. There's a story bigger than you. That's been happening for a really, really long time. One of the first chapters in liturgical
1: mission is recovering story formed worship. And I think exactly what you just said, much of so much of contemporary Christian worship is you go to the show in a liturgical context. You hear the story. The entire service preaches and tells the story of God. So you have multiple scripture readings in the lectionary. Literally, you'll have an Old Testament reading. You'll have a, you know, a Psalm reading, an Epistle reading, and then the Gospel reading every Sunday. Hmm. And they all follow these themes of the church year because they're telling, they're taking you on a journey and they're re-narrating the story of God. And one of the biggest problems and crises in the church today is We don't know the overarching story. We hear it every now and then. It's it's very fragmented. We'd be like, okay, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. He died for you. But 2,000 years went on, and we're Christians today. Well, in a liturgical service, the whole thing is about the story of God, the worship, the table. So you have the scripture readings. Every week, you're hearing the gospel as you prepare to come to the Lord's table. That's really cool. That's the altar call that's the yeah. gospel. Story. every week is you will be invited to the table and you'll hear on the night that Christ was handed over to suffering and death. He took the bread, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then here's the cup, you know, and you're, you're remembering the story every week. Mm. That gospel story is told your kids. It, it gets in you. It infuses its life into you mm again in these annual rhythms and what happens is we're rhythmic ritual people Mm. and the problem is in much of contemporary society just like you said everything's new and from day to day like the news we live our lives around what's happening on social media and but the liturgical calendar doesn't give a rip about any of that. Like right. it's all about this. It doesn't change. Every year you're following these same patterns and rhythms and they
0: get into you and then they get into your children. That's what's really cool about it. That is cool. What faith denominations would, they're strong in the liturgical practices. So Anglican Church. If somebody was like, man, I my church doesn't do this, but I'm drawn to like <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. are there churches in my neighborhood that might be a little bit yeah, warm. that's right,
1: probably. So again, you're going to have like your you know your big Catholic, Orthodox, um, Anglican, Episcopal are going to be kind of more Protestant oriented churches. So, so if you're coming from an evangelical background, you're like, how would I even get into a church like this? Probably Anglican is probably. Anglican churches are usually a us- unusual mix where oftentimes you'll hear really good preaching. You'll have liturgy vestments. It'll kind of be fully liturgical. Sometimes they're charismatic, spirit-filled, which is a really cool mix. A lot of Anglicans will use the term three-stream, evangelical, charismatic, and sacramental. And then, you know, depending on the denomination, some Presbyterian churches are more liturgical. Some Methodist churches are more liturgical. It's kind of hit and miss. Lutherans going to be another one. There's uh, Lutheran churches are going to be liturgical. I'm a part of the Anglican tradition. And for me, it's been and I've seen so many people in North America that are kind of coming into Anglicanism for this very reason. They're, you know, Tish Warren's liturgy, of the ordinary Tish is She's an Anglican minister and kind of writes from that framework. That's kind of the tradition that I'm a part of. The Book of Common Prayer is a great resource that you could kind of pick up. It's kind of, I call it the gateway drug to literally, (laughs) you know, so pick you up a Book of Common Prayer. I've done some writing on this. I wrote a book, Introduction to the Book of Common Prayer in 2013, I think, that's on Amazon. But yeah. What, what,
0: what are some of the myths? So, for somebody that's like evangelical and they're thinking like Anglican, like because oh, let's if we're just like addressing the elephant in the room, that's right. Every denomination they go, they're always kind of hint towards other denominations, which is just you know I think this is one of the yep. the worst parts about the Christian yep. Church, capital C, is we just kind of like well those yep. Christians, you know, and those Christians, you know. So for yep. the evangelicals I'm thinking like oh man, okay, I'm interested in liturgy, but I don't know. I've heard some things, you know, what are some yeah. of the myths yeah. that we could just. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, right. kind of hitting the introduction that, hey, you know, there's this kind of stereotype that liturgical worship is kind of dated. It's Catholic. It's ritualistic. It's devoid of the spirit. It's all of these things. And, and then you've got kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Oftentimes liturgical kind of sacramental Christians can look at like missional evangelical was like, oh, they've sold out or they're, you know, mm-hmm. they're just enthusiasts or whatever. And what I've seen is that historically you have these great movements of the church. And I think one of the things that the Lord's doing in our day is breaking down these walls that have divided these various traditions. And you see, you know what? God's been with all of these streams and we can actually claim them for today. And I think that's kind of where I'm at is like, I think there are riches that we can draw from the Pentecostal charismatic tradition has kind of introduced the larger body of Christ for the need of the person and work of the spirit. The evangelical tradition is really championing, you know, the word, the preaching of the word. You know, the liturgical has kept these great practices throughout the ages. And the funny thing is we had planted a church a surfer church on the Outer Banks, in North Carolina. We were there for 10 years and it became an Anglican church. It's funny, like <laughs> we led a surfer church into kind of this Anglican stream. And, you know, we had some people were like, what the heck is this? I remember one lady, one grandmother, if you will, you know, was like, are you, you know, are we becoming Catholic? You know, and it's like, no, we're embracing what the church has always believed. And that's where the connection for mission is yeah. that. These historic practices, the historic formation of worship, what it does is what liturgical worship does is, again, it tells the story of God every week. You're immersed in that story. And so, because of that, it forms us for mission. We can't tell the story if we've not embodied it. That's right. We don't understand our role in the story. So, there's a re narration, there's a restoring that happens through liturgical worship that's where it's passed down to our children. And so, you know, it's like the book of Judges says there arose a generation that knew not the Lord. Well, what happened was they ceased to pass on the story to the next generation. Yeah. In the critical moment where we are in, in church history in, or in North America right now in the Western world, the Western world, what modernity has done is it has destroyed the very fabric of Western civilization. And it's crumbling all around us. And people are grasping for air. They're looking for a story. Whose story are you going to believe? And this is where to fight for the souls of our children and our families. And this this is the connection to mission. We have to restore. The church has to be restored back in the story of God. And this is where I think And I'm all about contextual liturgy. I'm all about like, how do we do liturgy in a way that's, there are more high liturgical churches, but I I think there there are formative practices that we can draw from the tradition that will help form us for the future, for discipleship formation, but also ultimately for mission. Because our mission, our everyday, what do you mean by mission? It means our sentness, not just professional missionaries, but every man, woman, and child going out to be disciples of Jesus. That's what I mean by mission that we yeah. are formed by how
0: we worship to be disciples out in the real world in the marketplace. I want to camp there for a minute, but before we camp there, I want to just pause for the listener. Cause there was something you said early on in the discussion and you were talking about these churches and we, we kind of send the kids off to babysitting. And, so, my wife and I, we just moved our family across the country, and we're really we're still in the process of looking for a church home. We have some, we've met some friends here and some cool believers that we're starting to do life with, but just trying to find a church home. We were at one church for a while, and I, I told my wife maybe after a month of going there, like, I don't think I've heard the word discipleship once since we've been here. And so, Part of what I'm doing, the reason I'm pausing is I just want every, I know a lot of young families, you're looking for a place, a church home, it feels hard to do that these days for a lot of reasons. But when you're looking for a church home, man, I just think that discipleship, is it a key focus of the church? Like, Are we actually trying to raise disciples who are being sent, as Winfield just said, on mission to see the the word of God and the message of God and the redemption of God saturate all of our communities in the world? And you know, there were, there's so many, especially as young parents, we can get so drawn to. Well, it's a they have great things for the kids. They do great activities for the kids. And uh, my kids came home the other day, and we were talking in the car. They're my two older, eight and ten, and they were saying like, "Daddy, I don't know if like it doesn't feel like they actually make Jesus a big deal." <laughs> they were talking about the church and the church, the, the, the like their time on Sunday morning. I was like, "What? Like what? Like that's the biggest deal? Why else do we go to church?" You know. They're like we we sing a lot of songs, we play games, and you know it's really fun. But uh, it doesn't seem like they make Jesus a big deal. And I was like, all right, well we gotta we either gotta feel called by God to be here and invest into this body of believers, or we gotta find somewhere else where they do make Jesus a big deal because that is a big deal. So anyway, I just wanted to pause there because I think it's a really important point to make for the young families that are looking for a church home where they can find a body of believers that they can share life with, and that's actually something else you said. As you said, they worship together and they and how they lived together. You use the words how they live together when we were talking about you know, a thousand years. And that's something that I feel like that's missing. We go, we show up, we sing these songs, we do these things. But that whole living together piece is like, does anyone actually do that anymore as Christians? So I'll shut up for a minute and let you speak to any of those.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. There's this... It's like, hey, we go to church and then we come back and we kind of do our thing and we got to fight as families. And I'm living this. I mean, honestly, stuff you've named like I've been a pastor, church leader for, gosh, 20 years, 20 something years, actually. Um, And the last we've been here when we moved to come to Asbury seminary, like I train leaders around the world, but you know, I'm no longer in a pastoral role. So we had to visit churches for the first time in my entire life. Mm. Like literally the first time in my entire adult life, I've always been on staff or leading a church. And it's been fascinating, like visiting churches and kind of doing the stuff you're just talking about. Like, Mm -hmm. and coming out of the pandemic, one of the fascinating things is like we were a part of a church that was kind of downtown Lexington and it was a great church, great sermon worship was wonderful. I mean, there were, there were a lot of things we loved about it, but it wasn't local.
0: What do you mean like local for you
1: or or, local? Yeah. We we were driving 30, 40 minutes. Right. Right. You know, we would talk to people and wave. I would help out every now and then I would preach and do, you know, but, so coming out of the pandemic, you know, again, the first year of the pandemic, I mean, gosh, you were watching online, you were doing whatever, yeah. you know, all of us to be honest, were just completely disoriented. Yeah. And this past year, we really felt like the Lord said, "Get your family in a local church." And it might not be the best church. You know, it might not be the most ideal, and thankfully there's there's a great Anglican church that we've leaned into. It's local. It's quirky. There's, you know, it's not perfect, but it's really been a beautiful mess. I mean, it's been really cool to like lean into community here locally. You know, the Lord's kind of awakening and calling us to use our gifts and to lean into it as a family locally with other families. And so I think that's the other thing I would just add to it if Jesus is there, you know, that's the requirement, right? Right. I mean, you can't can't go to some crazy church that's like preaching about God knows what, but there's no perfect church. and But if you can kind of lean into community, and it might even be, you know, the other thing is maybe you worship at one church, but locally find other believers that you can kind of lean into community with. That's often the case is, Sometimes your closest kind of relationships are with believers who maybe are other traditions that you kind of lean in, into community with, with your families and your kids. That's also been another gift. Just mm-hmm. find Christian community wherever you are, I think is really, really important.
0: Yeah, we're about to move into a new neighborhood. Anytime we move into a neighborhood, we always tell the family like that God has sent us here. We are sent once to be salt and light to this street, you know, and so we've been they're finishing up our house and so we've been like praying for this neighborhood and the street that we live on and we're talking about all right who praying for our neighbors that we don't know yet that we'll get to know when we're talking about liturgy like how does liturgy and mission when you're talking to a family like all right jared you're about to move into the home you want to be sent by god you want to see yourself as missionaries a family on mission for the glory of god how does liturgy how will that play into that whole experience
1: yeah that's good Again, there are, how does liturgy inspire mission? I think one, there's this fourfold framework that I think you can apply to anywhere. So again, you gather, you hear the word of God, you celebrate, you feed, and then you're sent. Think of your home as the primary, you know, there's a historic term that the early church and actually through, I mean, even Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, like, used the term the little church, and I love that. You think of your home as a little church, mm-hmm. and what happens on Sunday should again inform how we live and do faith together. Formation. There's, there's a great little book that I saw here recently called "The Domestic Monastery," which kind of parallel. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. So think of your home as like a little church. Think as a parent, like your role is like you're shepherding your kids, your spouse, like. And part of what the church's role is to prepare the believers for mission. And so we gather. So I think one of the greatest opportunities that anybody can do, regardless of how outgoing you are or personality or where you live, is to see your home as a place of holy hospitality
0: Yeah.
1: and formation and mission. Yeah. And so you can gather people in your home, neighbors that are churched, unchurched. You share stories. So the first part of the liturgy is you gather, the great gathering to gather. So invite people into your home. Uh, what did Jesus do? He told stories. The early church gathered and they heard the word of God. And this is sharing stories. When Jesus comes to the disciples, you know, I think Emmaus is a beautiful kind of example of what this looks like. Jesus comes alongside them, they share their brokenness with Jesus. They don't recognize Jesus, but they're like, man, our savior was crucified, you know, and they kind of just share their story. And then Jesus starts sharing the word of God with them. He's talking with them on the way. And so we share stories in the home and and people open up as you gather around the living rooms, kitchen tables, and then there's a meal. And you see universally that there's a sacramentality to a meal. And this is why people gather in bars and pubs and coffee houses is people gather around a meal or a fellowship. There's a longing within in every culture, people gather around tables. And that's what we do in our home. So I think recapturing the dinner table is one, one of the greatest discipleship opportunities. Like in our home, no, I mean, it's not even an argument no screens. When it comes time for dinner, we are having dinner and there are no phones at the table and we just talk and we established that when our kids were really young. Yep. I mean, we could do a whole nother podcast to be honest with you on mental health issues among kids. And so Mm -hmm. if I had any one thing to say to youngish families who have small children, these smartphones are like crack. Yeah. And kids, parents are handing their kids phones that have access to it's destroying the minds yep. of our children. Yep. It's evil. I'll be honest. There is a mental health crisis among teenagers right now that is being fueled by social media and unlimited access to the internet. And parents, it is our absolute responsibility to set boundaries and to to have boundaries ourself. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when it comes to man, when we share a meal, you know, that's just, anyway, sorry, I I got on a hobby horse. No, man,
0: I think we need to be reminded of that as parents so often, you know what we do too in our, uh, we talk about that a lot. And that, so what you're saying is just right in line with what we talk about a lot here at that tire. But the other thing we do to try to help with that is we do candlelit dinners. And that just helps even more focus the attention on the table. So we'll actually dim the lights and then we'll light candles or a candle. Uh, I bought like, I bought this. Yeah. I bought this really like, uh, I'll put it in the show notes for the listeners, but it's like a mini bonfire for the table. (laughs) You know, you pour like oil in it, you know, and, uh, it's really cool, but the kids love it. And then you turn down the lights and I just, I couldn't agree more with you on the, just the sacredness of the table and the way that God is using the table for both. Discipleship and formation, and the mission to like invite people in. Man, it's just so beautiful the table. So anyway, yeah, we we dim the lights and we we have
1: well, anyone lit. can do it, and everyone has right. a table, right? Like so, again, a lot of Christians are like, "Well, I'm not a professional pastor or evangelist," or you know, everyone has a. T- this is what the early church did: is they invited people around a meal. Anyone can do it. And it doesn't have to be perfect. I think the other thing we need to throw out the door is like, oftentimes we don't invite people into our house because we feel like our homes need to be perfect and, yep. you know, blah, blah, blah. You know what? Have invite parents over, get some ice cream sandwiches and let your yep. kids play in the lawn. Like, yep. Yep. just get out there and do it. And so, just the gathering, sharing some sort of meal, people open up and there's a sacramentality there's something holy about sharing a meal together yeah so man again guard that time with your family to where make it sacred I mean it doesn't have to be like spooky or ritualistic you know but yeah. just like you said, like light a candle just set the moment and be like hey w- when we do this there are no screens we're here we're gonna engage each other we're gonna when we talk about the day that's where we share the stories of the day and our kids as your kids get older you want to talk to them. Yeah. You want to be able to have those conversations. You want as parents to be the place where your kid can come and share their brokenness, their highs, their lows. And that happens around a table. Right. Yep. And then the missionality is when you are again, as you invite neighbors in hospitality is a good friend of mine, Ed Smither just wrote a book called uh, the hospitality of God, where He connects hospitality and mission. How mm. God invites us around the Jesus invites us around the table, and so part of as you see the missionality of the church throughout the ages, hospitality is at the very center of it.
0: Yeah, you know, I love those four things. I think that was so practical for if you're a family listening, if you're a mom or dad listening, you're just like, all right, how do I implement this? If I heard you right, it's just gathering, so it's just making the time and intentionality in the midst of all the chaotic things that are going on in your life, we're actually going to all spend some time together. So we're gathering. Uh, And then there's the reading of God's word. There's the story we're sharing the story. So, man, there's just so much beauty in that we're, we're reading God's word. We're hearing the story of God. We're sharing God's faithfulness throughout our lives, but we're doing that as we gather. And, And then we eat and all of this can be done around a dinner table, which is like, we've been talking about beating that dead horse, but, you know, just gather around the table, eat, share stories, read the scriptures and then send. And we end our time or we reinforce every time we are sent once. We gather here, we share the story. You're part of something bigger, sons and daughters. You're part of something bigger. God is calling us. Look at the story in the scriptures. Look at the story of God's faithfulness of grandma and great grandma God's faithfulness around us. And now let's be sent into a world that desperately needs salt and light. So, I mean, that was really, really practical for me. Am I missing anything there? But that that, those four things was like so practical for me. And I think for the family. the
1: structure of the liturgy right there. Boom. You just, that's it. That's the fourfold structure. It's like a symphony that Mm -hmm. moves us toward mission. And I think if we can recover that, again, that's what I mean is like what we do on Sunday should actually be forming us for how we live out our lives. And as families, that's. That's the thing, like churches are not equipping families to be able to do this stuff in the home. And yeah. so that's where these practices, Christians have been doing this stuff for ages.
0: You right. know? And this is good stuff, man. So liturgical mission, newest book, we'll have everyone go get a copy of that. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Any other books that you've put out or that you want to recommend to our listeners on this topic that will help in family discipleship?
1: Absolutely. So yeah, liturgical mission, the work of the people for the sake of the world, it kind of connects those worlds that how does liturgy, how how does how we worship connect with how we make disciples and do mission for everyday life? This isn't just for professional missionaries. If you want to just dig in and learn more about like, what is the allure of liturgy? Like, what is it that draws people? Why does it even matter Earlier book I wrote, Ever Ancient, Ever New, The Allure of Liturgy for a New Generation, looks at, interviewed hundreds of young adults and young families across the U.S. and look at a lot of the different practices, a lot of the different ways that people are recovering liturgy. So that's kind of a foundational book. The liturgical mission is much more of a practical kind of connecting it to how we do mission in the real world. So those are two kind of key books that I've written. I've got two other real quick books that I did with the, another publisher. One is called Grow at Home. It's a beginner's guide to family discipleship. And cool. uh, I'll email you a PDF of it if you're interested. Oh, I cool. think like really yeah. uh touches on some of these very practical. It's a little 120-page book. It's like families, you can take this because so it's grow at home. Then at the beginning of the pandemic, it was funny. We did a um, I did a book called Living Room Liturgy. Hmm. It's just a book of liturgies for families to be able to use in the home for everyday ordinary seasons, practices. Just one of the things we've lost in our contemporary cultures is rituals. Yeah. And when you look at throughout the ages, when you look at other civilizations, there are rites of passages, there are rituals that mark key moments in people's lives. And we've lost those. And that's part of the loss of the liturgical tradition and so this book has stuff like little liturgies for like when your kid graduates, when you get a new pet, when celebrating an anniversary, And it's stuff that it's designed for the home. You know what I mean? Like, that's awesome. But you could have friends come over or you could just celebrate it, you know? And so like our daughter just graduated. We had our little liturgy for her, you know, little liturgy, graduation liturgy for the home. And it was a beautiful little celebration. People shared little testimonies and we prayed for her. My mother. It was really profound. My mother passed away Mm. in a nursing home during the pandemic. And we weren't able to really grieve and and celebrate her the way we should have been able to as a family with our kids. And we were able is really profound. We were able to use that liturgy for the death of a loved one in our living room. And it was beautiful. We lit a candle and it was. It was more meaningful than the actual in-person funeral
0: Wow!
1: because we were able to integrate. So Living Room Liturgy is another book. You can connect with me on Twitter, Winfield Bevins. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I'm also an artist. I do a lot of stuff. I, oh, I used cool. to, ran a nonprofit art gallery, art studio. I do, wow. I
0: do art and stuff with kids. You can check out my artwork on Instagram. Thing, man. Well, I'm looking at Living Room Liturgy. Did you design that? The, the cover of this i didn't i didn't they didn't let you they didn't let you <laughs> yeah that that's beautiful man yeah well i i've already got i just literally added that to the cart because that that sounds really really good uh along with your other books too and then you you mentioned the book of common prayers and uh liturgy of the ordinary and then there was the uh the, what was the monastery one that we we talked about it's called the domestic monastery domestic monastery. I, mean, I think I might have, have it. I need to dig that out of a box. a
1: little book. It's a beautiful little book that's just reflections on, you know, the monastic life. Monks commit their lives to do faith together. And in some ways, our homes are like a little domestic monastery where everything we do should be for the goal. You know, in, in a Benedictine monastery, you have work and prayer which means, you know, work and prayer. And they're all interconnected. So we live busy lives with our families, but our goal is to prepare them for the real world, but to form them in prayer, in discipleship, mission. That book's a really, there's some great little wisdom, some good little
0: nuggets in there
1: that that I've found helpful along the way.
0: This has been fun, man. Thank you for letting me pick your brand. I think my ADD got the best of me. I was like all over the place with my questions, but I, you gave a lot of really good nuggets. And uh, I've added a lot of books to the Amazon cart, man. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. I appreciate it a ton.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. God bless.
0: Hey, guys, hope that episode was helpful for you on your journey of becoming more like Jesus and helping your family do the same. If you want to talk about this episode more, we have a private community, not on social media. It's just our own little app where we hang out on the internet and encourage each other to be the husbands, fathers, disciples that God's called us to be. If you go to dadtired.com and just click the community tab, you can sign up to be part of that community. We'd love to have you there. There's also questions at the end of, are in the show notes for all these episodes. So if you get together at a meetup, you meet other Dad Tired guys, which you can also find online on dadtired.com. There's some questions for you guys to go through. You can find those in the show notes. But Hope this episode was helpful for you. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Later. Hello.